Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up to date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. Today, I'll be speaking to Patricia Papernow, EDD, who is a psychologist and well-known for her books, Surviving and Thriving in Stepfamily Relationships, Becoming a Stepfamily, and with her co-author, Karen Bonnell, The Stepfamily Handbook from Dating to Getting Serious to Forming a Blended Family as well as the author of dozens of articles and book chapters about blended families. Dr. Papernow is a systems and trauma-trained clinician with a special focus in working with families through divorce and recoupling process. She's a renowned educator teaching about step families all over the United States and the world, and she's a recipient of the 2017 Award for Distinguished Contribution to Family Psychology from the American Psychological Association. Let's listen to the interview. Hi, Patricia. Welcome. Glad to be here. Great, thanks for joining me. So um, let's see, I went to a conference some years ago uh, through the Association of Family Therapists in Northern California in uh, the Bay Area here. And you did a, a weekend conference on your work with step families. Um, I got really interested in the, that topic and read your, uh, your first book or the, the book you know, on surviving and thriving in step family relationships. And really enjoyed it, um, and and have also been using your step family handbook that came out a, a couple of years ago, also. So thanks for joining. I, I'd love to hear more about your work, and also just hear about your kind of you know your your progression of your career and your thinking, and how you got to thinking about what you're you're working on now. Well, I'm I'm really glad to be here because step families are a fundamentally different kind of family form. And it's still not taught. It needs to really be a basic part of every clinician's training. And it's not. Two um, percent mm-hmm. of Americans have a close step family relationship, and it doesn't go like a first time family. Yeah. What percent was that? It doesn't go like a first time sure. family. If you're trying to make it like one, you're you're failing and feeling like you're failing, and things go terribly, terribly wrong. It's difficult enough knowing having a good map. Um, But if you're, uh, it'd be like trying to drive around New York City with a map of Indiana, you know, Indiana, Mm -hmm. it just uh, makes quite a mess. So I'm glad to be here. Great, and what percentage were you saying of families are second time? 42% of Americans have a close step family relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, a huge, huge amount. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ask me how I got into this. Yeah. Uh, I, my first marriage, the, my husband had two kids. They were five and nine. And a few years later, it was time to do my dissertation. I was in a doctoral program. I was allowed to do a qualitative dissertation. I didn't have to do numbers. I could interview people. Mm-hmm. And I could see that things were changing in my step family. And it was probably that the kids were getting older, you know, eight and, um, whatever plus three is, is <laughs> five and nine. Uh, uh, but there was something shifting, something more fundamental. So mm. I did my dissertation on stages of development and becoming a step family. Mm. And I got hooked. And that was over 40 years ago. And I'm still, still learning because there's so much to learn. Uh, and er- every new modality that I've learned, I've also folded into this work. Uh, Great. 
Yeah, and I'd love to hear too, because I know you integrate a number of different approaches. I think you, you've got family systems work that you're doing. And I think also, I, I forget, was it emotionally focused couples therapy or AEDP or both or, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm an integrator. Um, I was actually originally trained in Gestalt therapy, which gave me really good grounding in uh, the quality of contact and connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is it there and isn't it? And what breaks it and what makes it? That was a wonderful foundation for me. Um, and uh, then I have a lot of trauma training. I have um, EMDR training. Mm -hmm. I have smattering of EFT and AEDP. The modality I mostly work in now is internal family systems. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, but I, I like to weave together all of the things that I know. And I started in this field in doing psychoeducation. I ran a community mental health organization that provided mental health skills training for people like nurses and teachers. Uh -huh. and, um, and so I started with psychoed. So training for trainers and training, good, good experiential training is also um, part of my uh, sort of solid base. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of psychoeducation that goes on in good step family work. Definitely. One of, one of the things I really love about your book is how organized it is and really kind of looking at multiple levels, like on a psychoeducational education level, on a systemic level, on an individual, you know, kind of level. And it's just very, I, I love how you kind of break it down into the different major issues that come up for families and just kind of those, those multiple levels from down kind of to the deeper interpersonal to the larger kind of like just, you know, general um, psychoeducational pieces. That's great to hear. I don't tire of hearing that that book, this is surviving and thriving in step family relationships is helpful to people. That's why I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. I was giving it to your own clients uh, before yeah. you wrote your other book. I wrote it for both actually clinicians and, oh, and step family members. The, the last book, step family handbook is written only for the public. Mm -hmm. So it's easier but there's a lot more detailed information in surviving and thriving that if step family members like to read, and I do always like ask people, I have a kid with language-based learning disability. So I always ask, do you like to read? Yeah. People don't like to read that, uh, that, that book's a little thick. And also, by the way, if people don't like to read, my website, uh, stepfamilyrelationships.com has a bunch of videos and a bunch of radio interviews. And those can be much more accessible for some people mm -hmm. to get some good information. Perfect, great. So tell me about, yeah, how did you get from, you know, kind of working in the community settings and, and the psychoeducation piece to where you're, where you are now? Well, uh, how did I, Matt? I started my running of that program and then um, I went back to school and got my degree mm -hmm. and uh, in, um, uh, to become a psychologist. And, um, and as I said, my dissertation was on step families and it's been my um, sort of um, area of expertise ever since then. I have a lot of other things that I do well and love, love to do, but yeah. it's one area that I really think is just terribly important to teach about uh, because there's so much for clinicians to know about what works and what does not work and becoming and meeting the challenges, the significant challenges of becoming a step family. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know that, you know, what really struck me with, with your book is how, how there's such significant differences between um, a first-time family and a, a step family or, or so on. And that, you know, the couple, when 
getting into a relationship before there's kids involved oftentimes have that time to attach and develop that attachment. And also what you talk about is the, the finding the common ground. You know, um, I don't remember the example you would use, but I thought about this, you know, it's like, you know, the, the way, you know, they put their dishes in the dishwasher when you move in together versus the way that you do and kind of figuring out all those kind of little pieces that happen over time as a relationship progresses, you know, and kind of gets solidified before kids come into the relationship in, in, That's in right. many families. Um, yeah. In a step family, the kids are already there while actually navigating all of that. And there's not necessarily as much of a secure base. The um, kids are not only already there, but the strong attachment is between the parent and child or children. Mm-hmm. And the understandings about everything from what's too much to spend on a pair of sneakers to what's allowed noise, to in my family, is it okay to eat standing in front of the refrigerator? You know, those uh, uh, understandings about how we do things are established between the parent and children and the attachment, the deep attachment is between parent and children, including a parent outside the household. And step parents come in as an outsider to all of that. Uh, And that's one of the, I talk about five challenges. That is one of the first challenges is that you come together expecting blending. Yeah. And I notice if you look at my work, I always use the language blended family because it's the language that we use. However, I always put quotes around it. Mm -hmm. It sets up an expectation that will come right together. Like a first time family, that's the longing that we all have. However, as soon as the whole family is together, the parent and child have a connection. The step-parent's an outsider. So, you know, little Janie gets off the bus and she made the soccer team or she didn't make the soccer team. She bursts in through the door. The person she wants to speak to is her parent. Yeah. Now the step-parent may have just gotten uh, his or her sweetie into a conversation, just the two of them, because they don't have any time alone, as you said earlier, and they're having a conversation. But what does a good parent do? The child bursts in saying, daddy, daddy, daddy. What does a good parent do? You turn to your child. Mm-hmm. In a first time family, it would be daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy. Mm-hmm. And both parents would turn. Or if, you know, daddy turned, mommy, mommy still connected. In a step family, if daddy turns, step parent is left out. Mm-hmm. They get dropped or they feel dropped. And they are dropped. You know, uh, Stephen Porges, a neurobiologist, has another thing that I have dipped into is uh, interpersonal neurobiology, says that we are wired for the people close to us to turn towards us. Mm. And when they turn away, it's deeply upsetting. And the other thing that's very hard is the step parent is in that stuck outsider position. The parent's in a stuck insider position. Mm -hmm. If I turn to my kid, my sweetie is upset. If I turn to my sweetie, my kid feels left. Mm -hmm. And when the parent and the step parent go to talk about it, they're sitting in fundamentally different positions, both of them painful. Mm -hmm. So much easier to empathize when you both see the same thing. Yeah. But when you are sitting, your pain is is, uh, makes a division between you. 
empathy is very challenging and is one of the things that we often have to do for step couples is first just give them a psycho ed. Yeah. You are arguing over this, not because you don't love each other, but because when Janie ran into the house, you, George, are, are the parent and she turned to you and you, Emily, were the step parent mm. uh, and you got left. And you're arguing not because you don't love each other, but because you live in a step family. And structurally, one of you is a stuck insider. That would be you, Joe. Mm -hmm. And one of you is a stuck outsider. And that would be you, Emily. And let me see if I can help you. That's the psychoeducation level, interpersonal levels. Let me see if I can help you really hear each other because you both need each other's empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard to get and hard to give. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the and I know you talk about that the there's the the biological parent is that insider, the step parent or the partner ends up being the outsider, and then the kids end up kind of also you know moving in and out of that outside position, going. That's true. Left out of. I the, talk about. Yeah, I'll back up and say that I talk about five challenges that are specific to step family. And one is that the couple is in stuck insider and outsider positions. The second is that kids experience a step family very, very differently from a first time family. So oftentimes the adults are thrilled and the kids are really struggling. Mm -hmm. Third is that parenting tasks divide parents and step parents. Parents, uh, step parents everywhere want more boundaries and limits with their kids and parents everywhere want more love and understanding for their kids. Um, the fourth challenge is how do we build a family culture while we respect both cultures that already exist and sometimes it's more than two. And the fifth challenge, last but not least, is we have another parent, at least one other parent and an ex-spouse and an ex-spouse relationship uh, that we have to manage. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it does not st uh, start and stop at our front door, even if that person has died. Definitely. Back to your question about kids. Kids struggle in step families with losses and loyalty binds and change. So losses for the adults, the new relationship is a wonderful gift. I mean, to find a love when you've mm -hmm. been, it's wonderful. For kids, it's often a sense of loss. And it's very hard for adults to get this. But so the example I often give is, imagine you have a really good buddy and both of you are single and you've been hanging out for a while and your buddy finds a new sweetheart. All mm -hmm. go to lunch together. You're sitting at lunch and your buddy and his or her new sweetheart are gaga in each other. How do you feel? You're glad for them, but how do you feel? Yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable. Exactly. And do you really want to watch them kiss or hug? No. Um, so kids need, you know, it's one thing if you're losing a buddy, kids need their parent and there's not another parent to, to turn to. And, you know, adults are as gaga when they fall in love as any kid. Mm -hmm. Social media, especially, you see a parent on their phone, texting their love, mm -hmm. parent child time. So one of the things we say in the step family handbook is separate them out. No mm -hmm. texting while you're with your kids. Yeah. So the first thing is losses. The second thing is loyalty binds. 
if I care about my step parent, mm-hmm. I'm disloyal to my parent, my other parent outside the household. And this is especially often between mothers and stepmothers. Yeah. And it seems to be almost genetic, uh, even when it's collaborative. But if there's tension, it's unbearable for kids. Mm-hmm. It often makes it very, very hard for kids to move towards a step parent. Yeah. And the third thing is change. The adults want to rush forward. And my second marriage, we certainly rushed. We would have been a lot even faster, except my kid needed, um, she needed uh, financial aid to go to college. Hmm. check that marriage box you lose the financial aid <laughs> so we waited six years <laughs> we wouldn't have waited otherwise and by the time we got married the kids were ready but hmm. uh, we would have rushed it yeah so kids and the higher the rate of change the lower kids well-being hmm. so yeah. that's kids yeah, and to the to that effect too, I know you're talking about how you put blended in quotes and, and you use the analogy of like making a smoothie and all the elements kind of right. mixing together, but it's more like a fruit salad where the individual kind of pieces are are kind of together. And that's oftentimes, you know, experience that that I've worked with with step families mm-hmm. is that yeah, they they're feeling great, they're so excited, especially too, you know, not only is is love exciting and wonderful and gaga, but then oftentimes they usually come out of a really not great relationship or where right. they were in pain for a long time or they lost their partner, um, you know, for, to death or so on. So that it's even more, you know, intense to have this good thing. And there's a feeling of like, oh, great. Now we'll all come together and the, you know, we'll, we'll it'll be easier because we'll, we'll have another adult there so we can parent the kids and somebody else will be there. And there are, or we've got more than one, you know, kids on either side, they're all going to get along and so on. And uh, yeah, it just, you know, they're feeling like, I think you've talked about or written about is that we're going to be one big happy family and you're just going to throw them all together and that's going to work versus all the catching up that the kids have to um, to where the parents are at because they're, you know, uh, it's, it's all new. It's all different. It's all confusing. And the kids didn't choose. Yeah, definitely. The kids didn't choose. The adults did. Mm-hmm. You know, two sets of kids. Won't my kid be thrilled to have a brother his age? Well, maybe step kids, step siblings tend to be either much closer or much more distant, but mm-hmm. maybe not. What if I said to you, I've just chosen Luke over here and you get to live with him and be close to him. You don't get to choose. You might not like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you might not like that at all. And you've touched on something else, which is parenting. And this is one of, I have a bunch of what I call easy wrong turns. This is such an easy wrong term for step family members and for clinicians. Uh, The research is clear. Parents need to retain the disciplinary role until or unless kids have formed a trusting, caring relationship with their step parent. At that point, step parents can move slowly into uh, a slightly more firm discipline. Mm -hmm. However, um, before that, uh, parents need to retain the disciplinary role. And part of the dilemma is, as I said earlier, step parents everywhere want more limits and boundaries with their step kids. I've taught all over the world. I haven't been anywhere, hardly. (laughs) That wasn't true. I mean, every now and then you get a harsh authoritarian parent 
and a step parent who's more authoritative, warm and mm-hmm. uh, calmly firm. And that's really nice because it means a step parent is stepping in. Uh, this happened actually with my step kids that I could step in and say, honey, I think you're being awfully harsh on your son. All he did was lose his shoes. You know? yeah. <laughs> that really helped me make a relationship with my stepkids. But that's the minority. It's uh, usually that step parents really want more discipline. And so often step parents are told to step in and exercise your authority and parents should back you up. And it's disastrous. I had a string of three consults. This must happen to you sometimes. Three consults all the same. A teenage adolescent girl hospitalized, Mm. suicidal. In every single case, stepdad had stepped into a harsh disciplinary role. Now, the kid was a mess, and it was quite understandable why stepdad did this. A little different in each family, but it was backfiring terribly. And the kids, all three kids fell apart. Parent, they're trying to help out in the way that yeah. they think, you know, and make sense and, you know, rationally and, you know, right. structures or whatever it might be. But oftentimes, especially if the relationship is tenuous, sometimes between the kids and the, their own parents, sometimes it just like exacerbates it, like you're saying, really kind of inflames the situation. Well, and oftentimes step parents do need to help parents firm up. Mm-hmm. But they need to do that behind closed doors and parents have input. Parents have final say uh, on on their own kids. And that means step parents have to bite their tongue a lot, which is awfully difficult. Let's back up and talk a little bit about what helps these challenges, especially the first two. One of the things that helps is a lot of one to one time. Because that word blended would make you think that if we all spend time together, we'll get closer. Well, it's true. New step families need to play together. They need to do fun things together. Um, And every time the whole family is together, there's competition between the subsystems. Mm. I can talk about subsystems. If the couple is close, parent-child, the child is left out. Parent-child is close, the the step-parent's left out. And every time we're all together, the parent-child relationship trumps the step-parent-stepchild relationship. Mm-hmm. Creating some one-to-one time, some one-to-one time for the couple without kids present, where the step-parent feels the full attention of the parent and the parent doesn't feel divided. One-to-one parent-child time, regular one-to-one parent-child time. And this includes older recouplers with adult kids uh, adult kids need their parents too. Mm-hmm. And one-to-one step parent, step child time, doing something fun, uh, kind of shoulder to shoulder. And some kids will be more available than others. When I say to step parents is connection before correction. Mm-hmm. My friend said relationships before rules. What can you connect about? What could you do together? You know, one of my stepsons taught me how Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he taught me how to do and you know the kids can often teach step parents a lot about technology yeah definitely uh, and i just had a step parent who said well he plays online all the time i'm not interested in the online well could you go find out what interests him about it mm-hmm. could you get him to tell you and show you 
And could you pull up the part of you that could be interested? Yeah. And I think definitely for a lot of families that ends up being being a piece yes. with connecting with the kids on what they're interested in, even if they're not. So listening That's and talking about Minecraft for 20 minutes or whatever, right. or you know, some parents are like, oh, I don't want to listen, you know, but again, it, it's their world and stepping into their world. But I think as yes. you're saying, it's even more important with the step parents, you know, because they don't have that just basis of relationship that the parent has having been right. in throughout their life. You have to build a relationship. I've, I've thought about that and wondered too, I mean, that, you know, the, the empathy sometimes I think that a parent ends up having for the kids because they've been there so long, because they have a little bit more of that perspective also I think ends up making it, I don't know if maybe that's why they are maybe a little less focused on the structure and those boundaries and kind of, you know, still though, you know, but they they can more almost see exceptions and kind of see context. Whereas sometimes the step parents are kind of a little bit more uh, black and white and it's, you know, it's a little harder to make exceptions because it's not, they're not having that kind of, you know, kind of foundational attachment that the parent does. I think you're exactly right, you know, um, yeah, I care about my kids. She, I've got a heart connection with her. Mm-hmm. If she does something a little stupid or irritating, it is not as irritating to me. I'll bet if you wired me up, I wouldn't get as upset. Mm-hmm. And it is much more upsetting to the step parent. Um, and if this is a kid who never didn't even say hello to you and she or he leaves a mess in the kitchen, how much more irritating is that? And uh, parent and child have agreements about how things go. Mm-hmm. You know, I was glad to have my kid make her own meal and make a mess in the kitchen being a single parent for 10 years. She made a mess. That was the last thing I cared about. But you know, if you're the step parent and you walk into this mess, and it's not the last thing you care yeah. about. Well, how, why didn't you teach your kid to clean up? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and because it's kind of, it, it ends up, I think, you know, part of it, especially if, if partners are living together and maybe the kids aren't there full time, it's, it's the step parent's space. And so oftentimes I think they yes. can feel encroached upon, whereas, yeah, the parent might be more focused on the value of the cooking, where the parent might be, a step parent might be more focused on the value of their space being uh, respected. Absolutely. Or, I think you've got that exactly right. Yeah. And, and I think you've talked about this, you know, that, that the parents almost inevitably, the step parent and the biological parent end up polarizing each other. The more, the harder one gets, the softer the other gets, the softer the other gets, the harder the other gets. Exactly. And part of the dilemma is what kids need is authoritative parenting. We have a ton of research about this. Authoritative parenting is caring and warm and empathic. And it also sets moderately firm, developmentally appropriate limits and follows through. It's authoritarian parenting is harsh and cold. Uh, it backfires in almost every culture when step parents use it. And mm-hmm. this includes cultures like a Japanese culture and Latino culture where uh, authoritarian parenting is more valued. Authoritarian parenting by step parent is backfires. Mm-hmm. And parents get pulled to more permissive parenting And that actually happens sometimes in single parenting as well. Mm -hmm. It's harder to hold limits when you're parenting alone. And you're exactly right. I call it the polarization polka. Uh, Mm. One of the major things that you see often in step couples uh, when they come in. Um, 
What kids need is not either authoritarian or permissive. What they need is authoritative parenting from the parent. Uh, So kids aren't getting, their needs aren't getting met for two reasons. One is they need authoritative parenting, not harsh or permissive parenting. And the other is that, um, what was I gonna say? (laughs) (laughs) The other is that conflict is very bad for kids. You know, that's a fifth challenge of of ex-spouses. The conflict in the household is very hard for kids. Mm -hmm. It's not single parent family or a step family or first time family that is the most robust predictor of children's well-being. The most robust predictor of children's well-being is uh, low conflict Mm -hmm. and good parenting. Mm -hmm. Never divorced, high conflict, parenting um, is linked to kids with poor well-being and divorced parents whose conflict is low tend to have kids with fairly good well-being. So when the parent and step-parent are fighting over uh, parenting, that's not good for kids. If you're going to, you're probably going to tangle, do it behind closed doors. If the kids hear it, go back and repair. I'm so sorry. You heard us be tense with each other. That was no fun. That must have been hard. No explaining. Mm -hmm. Really acknowledging to the kid. And the same actually is true. This gets us to that fifth challenge around uh, tension with the other household. Mm -hmm. If you can protect your kids from tension, it's huge. It makes a big, 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 big difference. If you cannot then you need to repair with kids. You need to say, you just saw mommy and daddy or daddy and daddy fight. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. That's not good for kids. I'll bet it feels terrible. I'm sorry. In a good divorce, the parents don't fight. And notice I'm not blaming my partner, my ex-wife partner. I'm not saying daddy picked a fight. I'm saying in a good divorce, the parents don't fight. And I got to suck that neutral, yeah. better language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. well, and I have a question too about, you know, this oftentimes comes up and I, I uh, that, you know, uh, somebody told me once that, um, you know, that co-parenting is the ideal, parallel parenting is the norm. That That's most right. families are kind of doing their own thing. Yes, it would be ideal if all the rules and expectations were the same at each household. But that's rarely the case because oftentimes people are doing, you know, kind of creating their own systems in their in their home based on their own personalities and such. So it ends up being parallel parenting and kids adjust well, just like moving from one house to school, you know, and and school having a different set of standards and expectations and so on. And then to another house that may have different. That's okay as long as it's kind of consistent and, you know, kind of there's that sense. But sometimes when I've got a parent that is really struggling because they're so frustrated about what's going on at the other household and, uh, and very preoccupied and, and kind of focused on changing what's going on in the other household, I'm often trying to, trying to redirect them back to doing what they can in their household because mm-hmm. sometimes they get so focused on what's happening in the other, they feel hopeless and then they end up not doing the things that they would like to be doing and the values that they'd like to be holding and the structure and so on in their own. Um, 
Yeah, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on this or is that's an issue that comes up? It is an issue that comes up and, and you're exactly right. Um, there is some research that's somewhat comforting. Uh, and that is that if you have one authoritative parent, one parent who's basically steady and warm and empathic and sets developmentally appropriate limits, that makes a difference for kids, even if the other parent is a mess. Mm. That's important for parents to know. Um, uh, there's a wonderful book, Custody Chaos, Personal Peace. Uh, Custody Chaos, Personal Peace about these kinds of issues. If it's not life and death, if it doesn't impact your kid in your house, and oftentimes even if it does, you gotta let go. Mm -hmm. Now what's hard is when it does impact. You know, I just consulted in a case where uh, a very narcissistic, very um, drug using alcoholic ex-husband who likes a lot of control and wants custody of the kid and is lying and uh, found, found a woman with two teens, you know, uh, and not getting the kid to bed on time, bad mouthing mom, it's terribly difficult, yeah. terribly difficult. Um, so mom may need to say something about dad, but how do you say something that uh, validates the kid's experience without tightening the loyalty bind? Sure, like how do you help them process that in, that experience? Exactly. So, you know, in a good divorce, the parents don't badmouth each other. I'm sorry that you're hearing badmouthing. Mm. That has to be really painful for you. So it's got three parts. In a good divorce, the parents don't badmouth each other. The fact you're hearing badmouthing. And back to the kid, that must be hard for you. Mm -hmm. That must be hard for you. Yes, you're right, daddy drinks. He was drinking and driving. That must have been terrifying for you. Let's figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what you can do. Not, I can't believe he did it again. That was a terrible thing for him to do. That mm -hmm. increases the kid's loyalty buying, number one. But neurobiologically, where's my arousal level? It's going up. Mm -hmm. And kids need uh, help calming down and they need to borrow our neurobiological system to calm themselves. Yeah, for that co-regulation. Exactly, exactly. Definitely. And I've thought about that too, especially in sometimes when I talk about parents when they are going through a divorce or couples that are ending that, you know, one of the big pieces like you're saying is the decrease in conflict and also the attachment to the to the kids and the kids being able to turn to the parents with their big emotions and parents being able to be with them or sometimes I describe it as the the rock in the ocean that the waves hit up against rather than mm. a set of waves just kind of smashing into each other. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, because yeah, that I think that piece, you know, because even those things in life are hard, but if the kids can turn and sit and process those feelings and be with those feelings with the parents um, oftentimes here, that's it's much better and here's one of the dilemmas kid says i hate my new stepmother mm. now i love your new stepmother <laughs> and god forbid your new stepmother should have heard you say that mm. how easy for a parent to say oh she's a nice person mm -hmm. or i don't want to hear you say bad things about her mm -hmm. 
much harder for parents. This is another place where the uh, two people are in such different positions that uh, for parents to empathize across that difference. Oh, take a breath, mom or dad. Oh, sounds like you're having a really hard time with your stepmom. Sounds like this is a lot of change. In my experience, many parents need help with this. So if you work with kids or with parents and kids, oftentimes you need to help kids find their voice. Yeah. You know, lots of kids, you know, feel this and this and this. Does that fit with you? Um, and then I meet with the parent and the kid and I set the parent up that your job is to hear the kid's pain. Zero to 10, 10 really hard, zero easy. How hard is this going to be for you? And if it's really hard, let's do some work before we meet. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really going to help the parent um, listen. I call it joining. Mm -hmm. The kid says, I hate my stepmother. Take a breath, mom or dad. Tell your kid what you do understand. I know you love your daughter. You tell her what you do understand. I get that you're really unhappy. Great. Mm-hmm. And with parents and kids, this goes one direction from the kid to the parent. I think uh, uh, the family version of EEFT, of EFT does this beautifully, yeah. just beautifully. But this is a place and step families where um, parents and ki- parents often need help really hearing their kids. Definitely. Yeah, there's uh, I, one of my earlier interviews with, was with Guy Diamond, uh, the developer mm-hmm. of based family therapy for depressed adolescents. And it's all really building up to that place of helping the parents be able to sit with and hear the kids' pain. And the way I think about it sometimes is that, you know, there's that great Brene Brown um, little video on empathy and the little bear going down into the hole. And it talks about, you know, to truly empathize with another, we have to connect to the part of ourselves that has felt that feeling. And oftentimes, you know, as a parent hearing the kid's pain, their anxiety goes up because they want to soothe them. And then sometimes though can kind of reinforce avoidance, um, some of like the, the Lynn Lyons work or the, the uh, uh, Elliot Lebowitz of, you know, kind of as parents are trying to kind of help the kids manage the anxiety, they inadvertently give it the feeling like, oh, bad feelings are really bad. We have to get rid yeah. of it. And then it even kind of- Stuff that thing people. right back in there. Yeah, so it's hard to, you know, in that, that piece, like you're saying, helping the parent to sit with that discomfort to be it's able to hard. is is not easy, especially. Yeah, I teach this up, up, down, and sideways. Sometimes my daughter will call me upset and she'll say, Mom, it's a six syllable word. I'm <laughs> venting. That's a four yep. syllable word. Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry, I forgot. My daughter <laughs> just got going here, I was trying yep. to fix it. <laughs> yep, we go into fix it mode or something like it's that. So it's so easy. Definitely, definitely. I think that's so huge. Um, One of the things that I love, Keith, uh, is that you have a lot of empathy. You have a good, solid sense of what works and a lot of empathy for what makes it hard to do. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I teach clinicians to do is when you see somebody messing up, it's really easy to want to just step in and correct them. Yeah. And you're going to have a lot, and that's uh, so easily shaming. Mm-hmm, definitely. Don't like being corrected, usually. Uh, and you're going to have such a much better connection if you can first say what you do understand about what they're doing. 
So, you know, a stepdad cannot move out of um, disciplining his stepdaughters. I so get it. Mm -hmm. Behavior is out of control. Mom isn't stepping in. Of course you want to step in. Mm -hmm. Put this straight. And as I understand it, you come from a family where, you know, dad said jump and you said how high. This must be, this must just pull you right in. You got a triple whammy here, you know. That's pulling you into exactly what isn't working. And I know you know it isn't working. <laughs> yeah, no, the way I think about it is that positive intent. Usually the person is doing yes. the thing that makes sense to them and that yes. it feels like this is going to be helpful. And, you know, they're trying to have that effect. And so once we can actually understand, even if it's in a situation which we totally don't agree with, why it makes sense to our client. And we can say, oh, yeah, because you're trying to keep her safe from getting in trouble with the drugs or whatever it might be. It makes sense why you keep jumping in and, and setting these intense limits. Then uh, the client feels seen. And then we can say, so it makes sense what you're doing, but it's kind of backfiring. Might so have noticed it isn't that. working. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and sometimes I think too that, you know, most people even kind of know what they need to do. But it's, you know, if everything were as easy as Dr. Phil and you said, you just got to quit the heroin, the person goes, oh, thank you, Dr. Phil. I hadn't thought of that. You know, most people know. So it's really what gets in the way of doing the things that they need to do and that difficulty and really having compassion for that and helping clients along with that and being patient and compassionate. Yes. Then you can Actually, with, with staff families, I think often people don't know. Mm-hmm. Often don't know. They're straining to blend and it's failing. Yeah. Then once they do know, it is sometimes hard to do. Yeah. That's when we go to that third intrapsychic level. I know that you get stepdad, that this kind of harsh uh, discipline isn't going to work. I know you get it. We've talked about it. I know you get it. And something's making it really hard for you to do. Mm-hmm. We just pay attention to what's happening inside. What Something's frying your wires. <clears throat> yeah yeah that, and that's I, that's why too i love your approach with the you know because it's starting with the psychoeducation do they even kind of know what what, what the map what is supposed to be going what the map is and right. then can they then do that together as a dynamic or are they struggling and then potentially going down to that deepest level i don't know if you do this but that's where i even will sometimes use the emdr when the person uh-huh. knows what they should do they're trying, they have the intent of doing it, but they get so triggered that they can't put into action what they know they, they want to do. And sometimes there's old stuff getting triggered and leading to disproportionate reaction, whatever it might be. Exactly. And you know, it's one of the reasons why good trauma training on top of good systems training on top of good, a good map um, yeah. sense. You know, EMDR, I work in internal family systems, a, a, some forms of ADP. You know, you need, you're going to need something different yeah. than talking about it. Yeah. Otherwise you're just banging your head against the wall. Exactly. So you were mentioning too, that something in an area of interest is also the, oh, actually, you know what? There was one more point. I don't know if we covered, which was about the family kind of culture. Aspect. Yes. And let's, let's kind of talk about that before we go into the, uh, the families in the uh, later life transition. Can you talk about it? Well, that's the fourth challenge. The first is insider outsider. The second is kids. The third is parenting. And the the fifth is ex-spouses. The fourth is we're trying to make a family culture. But, and 
we have a couple of at least two already established cultures. And one of the easy wrong turns is we'll just make a you know, set of rules for everybody or we'll just all do Christmas our way. Mm -hmm. That turns out to backfire. It's too much change too fast for kids, basically. Um, so uh, the dilemma is how do we start to build a new culture while we respect the old culture? And actually, there is some really interesting research even about Latinx families do better when they incorporate both. They hold on to some of their Latinx culture and some of their new American culture. Mm -hmm. Dropping Latinx and switching it for American doesn't work, nor mm -hmm. vice versa. So this is very similar. Um, unfortunately, I mean, what one of the things is that we say to step couples is talk about everything. Well, it is important to talk. Yeah. But some of the things that we hold most dear have no language, if they ever did, until somebody does it wrong. So one of the wrong, meaning not mm -hmm. my. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the stories I often tell is, you know, it's Christmas, if this family celebrates Christmas. And uh, we're so excited. It's our first Christmas. And stepmom goes and hangs white lights on the tree. Stepdaughter comes downstairs, takes one look at the tree, bursts into tears and runs upstairs. Mm. Stepdaughter's used to colored lights and it's just one too many changes. Now, how easy for stepmom to say stepdaughter ruined Christmas. Mm -hmm. Kids alone in her room and dad's caught between. What works is, can we all take a breath? Any prayer after we've all taken a breath that stepmom can say to stepdaughter, oh, it looks like I just learned something about you. Yeah. Or maybe dad has to go upstairs or mom if it's a lesbian couple and, and, and hear what happens when you, you know, the kid needs to howl for a while before mm -hmm. they can have a conversation. And once the kid has howled and really got it and the, they all get that we got white lights on this side and color lights on. How are we going to manage this? Well, I have a couple of families that have two trees. And one family that decorated it half and half, they did it vertically one year. Only <laughs> the next year. <laughs> it was fabulous. <laughs> um, uh, and a lot of these things come up that way. They come up as surprises, it's like learning by goofing, I call it. Yeah, they don't see it coming. And you don't see it coming. And it's a spike of arousal, um, you know, at the, I often tell a tuna fish sandwich. I make tuna fish for my stepdaughter. Mm -hmm. Stir a little whole wheat bread. Um, I uh, chop up a little celery, not too much. I don't want it to be too crunchy. She's a kid. She's right. always complaining about her weight. I throw in some low fat yogurt. I put my lovely tuna fish sandwich in front of her. And she picks at it. Mm. And she picks at it and then she goes to her room. Now, how easy for me to say, your kid didn't appreciate my work. Well, in fact, what we find out is a tuna fish sandwich to my stepdaughter is white, soft bread, tuna fish with mayo in it, mm -hmm. no things, and not toasted, for goodness sakes, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but learning by goofing, how else am I going to know? And one of the things I say to step families is some of these things will change over time. Mm -hmm. My stepdaughter, my daughter looked at our refrigerator in about year one or two 
My husband's last name is Goldberg. She went through the refrigerator and said, Papernal, 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 Goldberg, Goldberg, Goldberg. The Papernal was skim milk, low-fat mayo, non-fat yogurt, the entire vegetable and fruit door, the fish. And the Goldberg was red meat, real mayo, whole milk, uh, nothing in the vegetable or the fruit drawer. Mm. Uh, and about year five, my husband and I got into Weight Watchers. He started eating more white meat. Mm -hmm. um, he discovered fruit. He loves fruit. Mm -hmm. So now when you look in our refrigerator, 25 years later, there is non-fat yogurt. There's mm -hmm. no milk. There's still real mayo. I don't touch it, but my husband says, no. uh, there's my husband still does not touch the vegetable drawer. He was mm -hmm. made to eat his veggies. You can see that worked. Uh, lots of fruit that we share. Um, and, um, you know, so it's a mix. There's some things yeah. that are now uh, blended and some things. Mm -hmm. separate. Well, I think it's so hard for something that families, especially, you know, parents in this case, right? Because it really is the parents needing to care for the kids' emotions in these situations, that, that they are an opportunity for understanding, right? Mm -hmm. There's something in there that happens that, that you know, we can kind of mine down and see what it can is. Can we be curious? Yeah. And, but oftentimes, you know, as a parent, especially if you're running around, you're trying to do stuff, you're making dinner or something, and the kid freaks out, and you're like, oh, gosh. Like now it's I'm hard going. to be curious when your arousal level is really high. Yeah, yeah. Breaths first. And so that frustration can can get there for a lot of the families and, yeah. and also some power struggles, right? And and I think like you're talking about like that some families might take that stand of like, no, we're gonna have the tree this way, like or so on. And then like right. out with the couple, it ends up becoming almost one of those in 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 or out, you know, is it is it right. us as a couple or you as a kid with the kids? and really kind of understanding what that all means and ultimately, right, wanting to know that one's important and, you know, but how, like you're saying, figuring out those, those cultures um, and how to meld those as well as some, you know, major transitions, um, like I think you were mentioning just even, you know, uh, combining various kind of um, uh, ethnic cultures also, you know, yes. then a, a, a heterosexual family might break up and then, you know, the new partner might be same sex or a same sex partnership breaking up. And Although, you know, it's interesting. The research is that for kids, the fact that mom came out and is now a lesbian is not as hard as having a step parent. Mm. And the hardest part about mom being a lesbian is not that she's a lesbian and that uh, there's another woman here. It's that I get bullied at school. Yeah. Yeah, because kids do do very well in families of same sex, but yeah, that sometimes it's the larger social. Right, but it is an extra extra transition. You're absolutely right. Um, a minute yeah, to talk yeah. about older couples. Yeah. Um, the rate of divorce has fallen and even out in the United States. Uh, there's not a talk show host besides you who knows this. <laughs> I don't think it's going up. Yeah. Except over 50, where it has doubled in the last, uh, between 1990 and 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, we call it gray divorce. And with gray divorce comes gray recoupling. Yeah. And fantasy is the kids are out of the house. The dog is dead. It's just us. And when I do this with PowerPoint, I show the couple, just them. 
And then I show a geodogram with all of the generations and all of the lines going between, you know, mm -hmm. this one and that one and what it actually looks like. Because the fact is that a lot of these challenges uh, are just as intense in gray, uh, gray recouplers. Some of them are more intense. You now have three generations of relationships often, mm -hmm. have decades of friendship connections and a ritual around holidays. Mm -hmm. um, and you have not only an ex-spouse, you have you know, my mother who has a 30 year relationship with my ex-spouse, my brother for whom my ex-husband was the new brother for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of the relationships are really, the challenges are quite intense and kids are not thrilled. Mm -hmm. The research is, first of all, that adult kids are often devastated when their parents divorce. It's, it's not easy because they're adults. Sometimes it's harder. Their mm -hmm. whole foundation is ripped apart. And the other is that all of that stuff about losses and loyalty bind and change, turns out adult kids feel it too. I just had a consult where uh, for an adult woman whose father recoupled, the new partner doesn't want dad to see the daughter without her present. Mm. I cannot see his kid without his new partner present. The kids have to accept this is a reality. Well, it is the reality. And the other reality is the parent-child relationship is a reality. Mm -hmm. so, um, we are all going to see more of these gray recouplers uh, because the age over 65% of the population is growing exponentially mm -hmm. and because of gray divorce and gray recoupling. So um, good to know that this stuff applies there too. And the other thing that we see in uh, gray recoupling, and we also see this in late life established step families, is that issues of uh, elder care, mm -hmm. inheritance, uh, uh, where's dad going to live if he's really ill, who's going to take yeah. care of him? Those issues are more conflicted even in long time step families than they are in first time families. Um, in first-time families, people have enough shared history. They get through these things. In mm -hmm. parent families, usually there's one kid, usually a, a, a daughter, adult daughter, who basically mm -hmm. takes over and everybody follows the lead. Um, and step families have to be much more explicit. So mm -hmm. what you need to do as clinicians is make sure if you want your kids to be involved with your medical care, make sure they're on your HIPAA release. Yeah. Make sure you've been clear about what you want at the end of life. Ask your kids if there are items that are really important to them. And then that goes into your uh, estate plan. So that, you know, that was the cup that grandma gave me. You know, my stepsib doesn't know that was the cup. It just looks like an old mismatched cup. Throw it out. Yeah. Yeah, all those pieces play in. And I imagine, too, that as, um, you know, with the older children or adult children that there's even more of loyalty bind because sometimes with the younger children they don't quite you know have as much awareness of who hurt who or who left who or, or things like that whereas oftentimes the older children might get more involved in mm. sides or, or daughters something. adult um, daughters are often the, you know parents think they can talk to their adult daughters and mm -hmm. adult daughters by the way are uh, their well-being goes way down when parents involve them mm. in these conflicts. Yeah, and turning to them for support or so on. Right. May, 
be not not so great for the hierarchy and kind of also for triangulation. They're my dad. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying something terrible about my mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard too that somebody had told me once, I don't know if there's any data to back this up, that before a couple can uh, separates or divorce, oftentimes it's kind of like two years on average that one person is getting to that point of yes. eating. And then, you know, and I've thought about this with, with kids and, and, you know, young kids and older that oftentimes the parent that was not wanting the end of the relationship is devastated and so upset where the other parent has detached over two years and is now having- Exactly. So the kids end up seeing, you know, mom hurt dad or dad hurt mom or mom and mom, dad and dad, you know, because they're seeing the one parent in great pain and not That's right. knowing the bigger context of kind of how things got to that point. Um, I don't know if there's- I any- think you're absolutely right. And you know, before we end, I wanna say one more thing and that yeah. is when a parent dies with COVID, we're gonna see more of this. Oh yes. Oftentimes the fantasy is the step-parent can come and replace the missing parent. Mm-hmm. And it turns out kids do not want a replacement. Sometimes very young kids are open, but kids do not want a replacement. What kids need from step parents is honoring their missing parent. Mm-hmm. You know, can we plant something in the garden for your missing parent? It's your birthday. What would your mom do? How would you like your mom to be here at your birthday? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your, what do you remember most about your mom? That the family includes that missing parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids uh, who don't get that get depressed or they get angry. Yeah. Um, and there is one, one of the few really good trade books by Diane Frome, F-R-O-M-M-E, called um, Step Parenting the Grieving Child. Mm. And that's a, that's a really good, one of the few yeah. trade books. Yeah. So Reminds I just want to say that out loud. Definitely. There's a movie, I don't know if you see it, blended with a, uh, you know, it's kind of a comedy movie, but at one point the, the main character, uh, the, the woman in the situation, the one of the parents had died and she, you know, the daughter's like, oh no, that's where my mom sits, the kind of empty chair. Right, says, okay, exactly. Let's pull up a different chair then and, and ha- they have a place for mom at their table. That's great. Um, you know. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, you know, this is really great and I really appreciate it. I think this is such an important subject and I'm, I'm glad we can get it out to, to thank, Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to get this information out to people. Great. Well, thanks a lot. Take care. You too. Thank you for joining us. If you're wanting to use this podcast to earn continuing education credits, please go to our website at therapyonthecuttingedge.com. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, providing in-person and remote therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area. IAP provides training for licensed clinicians through our in-person and online programs, as well as our treatment for children, adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults. For more information, go to sfiap.com or call 415-617-5932. Also, we really appreciate feedback. And if you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of therapy and think clinicians should know about it, send us an email or call us. We're always looking for the advancements in the field of psychotherapy to help in creating lasting changes for our clients.